Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, uh, Thanksgiving is upon us. Next week, we will be eating a lot of food, enjoying a lot of family. Got any big plans? Um, big plans. Nope. It's just be, yeah, hanging out with, hanging out with some friends and family. But you know, what's incredible is they have already started playing Christmas music. I think the first Christmas song I heard was at the beginning of November. So it is sooner and sooner every year, it seems like, uh, with, with Christmas and just even bypassing Thanksgiving in general, which is just crazy to me because I enjoy Thanksgiving. It is a fun time of the year. Uh, a lot to do outside. It's beautiful weather outside. Yeah, absolutely. Spend, spending time with people you care about is, yeah, well, is nice. The, what about you? Yeah, Christmas is where the money is. So, <laughs> with shopping <laughs> online, you're right. Black Friday. Yeah. I mean, they're already thinking through that. Yeah. Um, what do you guys typically do? Do you stay in town? Do you go out of town? What do you do? Yeah, we'll stay in town. Uh, typically, we're actually cooking uh, four Boston butts this this Saturday. Um, this is Aaron Friday, so we're we're doing it tomorrow. Um, and we are going to, it takes about eight hours over an open pit. We, um, we, we do that with my mom's side of the family. Then with my dad's side of the family, typically very traditional. Uh, we have the, you know, the, the China that you bring out once a year at the dinner table at my grandparents that we sit at once a year. Um, and yeah, we enjoy a nice meal with that side of the family. So it's, you know, turkey stuffing, green beans, uh, very traditional. So we'll have that, you know, kind of spaced out over the next week or so. Excellent. That sounds really fun and just good to catch up with family. We're we're heading out of town. We're going to Hilton Head oh, um, nice. with my mom's side. Uh, so we should enjoy that. I like the beach in the fall. Is it is it typically crowded or? Uh, it's, it's moderately. I mean, it's nice to have like walks on the beach and stuff when it's cooler. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. play some golf depending on the weather. Uh, but it's, it's just relaxing to get out of town and see everybody and mm. yeah it should be fun yeah that's great that's awesome yeah so by the way i'm I'm ryan borders i'm a certified financial planner and a dave ramsey SmartVestor pro and i'm matthew travis i'm also a financial planner here at the firm and uh, have been with the firm for almost uh, five years now awesome yeah wow five years yeah <laughs> crazy you know hey we're excited to have you all listening to us today on our weekly show we're exclusively every week and up on Friday afternoons, so you can find our show up on the website through moneymd.net or iTunes every Friday and listen to us anywhere in the world. Also, check out our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us and ask que- uh, like ask your questions as we do a question every week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're going to start off today with the financial fact of the week, and this one's really, really interesting. You know, obviously, it's been an interesting, volatile year in the markets. Mm-hmm. And you start having questions on things like market timing. So really, this is comes from Dimensional. Uh, this is the mutual fund ETF company that we use. Um, and this talks more about, hey, the cost of trying to time the markets. So let's look at the Russell 3000 index. That's kind of a total stock market mm-hmm. index overall. Um, if you had $1,000, just put in there, just left it alone in a Russell 3000 index, um, let's look at a 25-year period. You know, so from 1997 to 2001, you know, that $1,000 would have grown to $10,367. Yep, 2021, so that 25 period. Yep. Yeah, 2021. Uh, but if you missed, we're going to talk about what if you missed some of the best weeks, months, uh, and see how that affects your overall return. 
Yeah, so if you were to miss the first week, uh, the best one of the best weeks in the markets, then that ten thousand three hundred would have turned to eighty six hundred. So yeah, just one week of the best returns would have you know lost about twenty percent of the value over those twenty five years. Yeah, if you would have missed the best month, you know we're looking at that would only have grown to eight thousand two seventy nine. Yep, three months would have been seventy three hundred. Yeah, and six months would have been six thousand seven hundred twenty eight. So. It can be very expensive to time markets wrong, as you can see. Yeah, that's right. And it's really just saying we don't know when those weeks, when those months are going to be. Uh, I mean, who would have thought that October would have been up you know, 10% across yeah. the board, roughly, in, in, in the general stock market? It's like they, September was down. October was way up. If you had missed that one month, that's 10% that you've, that you've yeah. missed automatically. So yeah, we always say here, there's no proven way to time the market targeting the best days or moving to the sideline to avoid the worst. Mm. So the evidence suggests that staying put through good times and bad. So just just be careful. You know, that's why we teach that here, not to try to time markets because it can really uh, mess you up. Yeah, and, that's right. And so it's just not a, a wise way to manage your money. So we obviously hold to that, that teaching. Mm. So that's going to lead to our first topic. Um, so first, we're going to talk about working in retirement and how does that affect your Social Security and Medicare. So this is from Charles Schwab. Um, so, you know, we've talked to clients about this a lot, especially, you know, in the last year. Some people have considered going back to work. So if you're retired and considering going back to work, you know, whether you're in the uh, you're in the in it for the extra income or merely just getting paid for something you enjoy doing anyway, it's important to understand how bringing home a paycheck in retirement could affect your social security benefits and medical insurance coverage. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of times people kind of retire and they just want to go back to work because they enjoy it. They, right. they miss it, right? I'm sure you've heard that from clients and I have clients as well. Yeah. Um, so we're going to cover a few things to consider before punching, you know, punching that time card. You just want to be very uh, cautious and just have a good planning in place. Mm. So the first is, you know, your social security benefit could be reduced temporarily, okay? So your age does matter here as well as, um, uh, but any reductions that do occur are temporary, okay? So you, they could be reduced. The IRS will eventually recalculate your benefits and give you uh, credit for the months when you didn't receive a benefit, thereby boosting your future benefits. So don't let a temporary reduction in payments keep you from returning to work. Um, so if you haven't reached your full retirement age between 66 and 67, so that's people born in 1943 mm -hmm. or later working, can mean temporarily giving up $1 in benefits for every $2 you earn above the annual limit. And that's 19560 That's 2022's numbers. Mm. So yeah, we're going to talk about a few examples. Yeah, and, and to you know to reiterate, it is it's a temporary reduction, and we'll talk about that. But it's not a permanent reduction. You'll get it yeah. back when you finally do retire and stop working. But um, you know it, it 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 does reduce it temporarily. So the first example, let's say you retire early and go back to work before reaching your full retirement age. Your annual salary is thirty thousand. Um, because you're you know roughly ten thousand over the limit, your social social security benefits would be reduced by about five thousand. If you go back to work during the year you reach full retirement age, $1 in benefits will be deducted for every $3 you earn above uh, that higher limit, which is roughly $52,000 in 2022, uh, uh, but only counting earnings before the month you reach your full retirement age. So after you reach full retirement age, no reduction in benefits, even if you work 
and you make over those two thresholds. Correct. And a lot of these numbers are changing for 23. Correct. So you just want to yep. make sure you're, you're aware of that. Mm -hmm. Example two, you know, you work all year and reach your full retirement age in June. From January 1 to May 31st, you earn 15000 Because your earnings are under the limit, your Social Security benefit for the year are unaffected. So no effect there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the third example is you work all year, reach your full retirement age in June. From January 1st to May 31st, you earn 53000 at this point, you've earned about 1400 over the annual limit, which would reduce your Social Security benefits by about 500 about a third of that, right? Yeah. Uh, starting the month, you hit your full retirement age, your benefits are no longer reduced no matter how much you earn because, again, full retirement age, no reduction in benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, as long as you're working, you and your employer, if applicable, will need to pay the Social Security federal insurance uh you know, tax. So the FICA is what you always hear thrown around. Mm -hmm. um, because Social Security benefits are based on your highest 35 years of income, the additional earnings may boost your Social Security benefits by replacing or filling in the years where you had little to no earnings. Um, you can estimate how much your annual benefits will be uh, reduced by using the Social Security Retirement Earnings Test Calculator uh, via the, is it the IRS website, Social Security website? Mm -hmm. SSA.gov. Yep. Yeah. So the next is your Social Security benefits could be taxable. Hmm. This is important. Uh, your modified adjusted gross income, so MAGI is a term you hear thrown around a lot, uh, it does matter here. So as your MAGI increases above the certain threshold from earnings, so this is from earnings, uh, earning a paycheck, for instance, or certain other income sources, a greater percentage of your benefits is subject to income tax and the maximum of 85%. Hmm. Yeah, so just thinking through the taxes, I mean, we we aren't tax experts, but we do spend a lot of time thinking through tax situations. And Social Security is a big one, like you said. Um, another another interesting you know thing to know is you can pay back benefits before uh, benefits you've already received and boost your future benefits. Uh, let's say you've taken Social Security benefits early at a reduced rate. You have the option of paying back to the government what you've already received and restarting benefits at a later date with a higher payout. Uh, you receive your largest monthly benefit by delaying retirement uh, until age 70, but not beyond. So never makes sense to wait past age 70. Keep in mind that you will need to repay the gross amount of your benefit, which includes any withholdings from Medicare premiums and or income tax. For example, say you choose to receive benefits at age 62 and nine months later, you decide you want to return to work. You could stop receiving Social Security by withdrawing your application for benefits, pay back the benefits received, return to work, and then defer your benefit up until age 70 when you could restart your benefits at a higher level. The option to pay back Social Security is limited to the first 11 months worth of benefits. In the SSA, uh, Social Security Administration allows repayment only in the first year after you start to receive benefits. Once you reach full retirement age, another option is to voluntarily stop benefits at any point in time before age 70 to receive delayed retirement credits. Uh, spousal benefits will be stopped as well if you do that. Benefits are automatically, um, they will automatically restart at age 70 at a higher amount unless you choose an earlier date. Yeah, so take note that when you withdraw your application or stop your benefits after full uh, retirement age, you must specify if your Medicare coverage, if you have it, uh, should be included in the withdrawal. So the next is you may need to do some planning with an employer health insurance. Okay, this is very important as well. Mm -hmm. um, eligibility for employer-offered uh, group health insurance 
is one of the primary reasons many people under the age of 65 stay in or return to work, um, right? Health insurance is very important, can be very expensive. Yep. So a lot of people stay working until age 65. So if you're, age, if you're 65 or older and already covered by Medicare, check with your employer's uh, HR department about how their insurance coverage would work with your Medicare. In short, you know, Medicare could help pick up the tab for expenses not covered by your group plan, but the rules vary depending on how many employees your employer has. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. So just really talking with your employer and seeing how yeah. that seeing how those two two mesh is good. If you do have a private health insurance, compare your benefits and coverage with the plans offered uh, by a new employer. Although group plans tend to be less expensive than individual policies, you could be better off uh, keeping your individual policy rather than canceling it and hoping you can get your old coverage and rates uh, back later. Um, the next the next thing, and this is how we'll finish up, is to make sure you enroll on time and be careful with your HSA. Both Medicare and Medigap have specific enrollment periods, and if you miss them, you could be hit with late enrollment penalties. However, you may be able to enroll after age 65 without penalties if, uh, for a period of time, you after you reach age 65, you receive employer coverage. Pay close attention to Medicare enrollment periods if you have uh, retiree health insurance from a for former employer or are under COBRA, um, which is you know the continuation of health insurance after you stop working. These types of coverage do not allow you to defer enrollment past age 65 without penalties. And so really, if you have questions about this, getting in contact with someone, whether that's yeah. you know someone with Medicare, whether that's us, and we can point you in the right direction because you really don't want these penalties the rest of your life. Yeah, and as you know, we, we love the HSA here, but you need to note that in, once you're enrolled in Medicare, you're not permitted to make contributions to an HSA anymore. Mm. Yes, yeah. so that's important. Um, if you enroll in Medicare after reaching the age of 65, Medicare will backdate your employment by six months, but no earlier than age 65, uh, to avoid the IRS penalty. Make sure you stop contributions to your HSA in time. Mm. Uh, so bottom line, Matthew, you know, returning to work after retirement is ultimately kind of a personal decision for you. Um, if it supports your goals and financial needs, then we would say, hey, yeah, go for it. You know, yeah. if you want to go back to work. So with a little planning, your new job can complement your Social Security and health insurance arrangements. But as always, you know, contact, you know, us your, or your financial advisor or other uh, financial professionals if you have questions just to make sure you do it right. Mm, that's yeah, good. So that's great. Good article. Um, and so next, that leads us to the question of the week. This one is really interesting. Um, so this question comes in asking, hey, should I, make, should I make my kids the contingent beneficiaries on my accounts if they are minors? Um, how would they manage the money if they're like 10 years old, right? That's mm -hmm. a great, great question. Yeah, wow. That is a good question and something we get all the time um, because typically the spouse is the primary beneficiary on their account, right? So primary is if something happens to the account holder, goes to primary and no questions asked. Contingent is the second layer of beneficiary. So if something happens to both the account holder and the primary beneficiary, the contingent beneficiaries are who gets it. Now, beneficiaries are very important and we spend a lot of time thinking through this with clients because beneficiaries bypass probate, which means that if your will says, hey, Aunt Susie gets everything and your beneficiary says Uncle Sam, that's a bad example, but you know, another uncle <laughs> another uncle gets 
everything, you know, per the beneficiaries, whatever the beneficiaries say, that's what happens, right? Right. It's called contract law is the technical term. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So the question is, okay, so if you have you know, a husband, wife, and you put the primary as the other, and you have kids that are minors, should you put them as contingents? We would generally encourage you to, to, to yes, do that. Um, put your minor kids as contingents. Now, what happens practically is if you pass away and your minor kids inherit these accounts um, because something happens to both you and the primary beneficiary, then whoever is the custodian per your will will be the, the custodian of your, your minor kids' money. And so what that means is if you have a you know, sibling taking care of your kids, if something were to happen to you and your husband or you and your wife, then that person would also be the one to, to care for their money. Correct. If you don't do this, if you put just, let's say you put your sibling as the contingent beneficiaries, then they, by law, do not have to spend the money on your kids. If your minor kids are the contingents, then by law, they have to spend it on the kids. Now, I know you can say, well, we trust them to do that, and that's fine. But in general, we would encourage you to put your kids as the contingent beneficiaries. And then the, the children would receive it at the age of majority. Question for you, mm-hmm. do you know the age of majority for both South Carolina and Georgia? Good question. So it does vary per state, but I think South Carolina and Georgia is they're twenty one. Is yeah, that correct? I believe that's true. Yep. Yeah. So age twenty one. So that's a good point. Is at twenty one they would receive these funds because they are then considered adults per these per those two states. Yeah. So I guess the only time you would really want to consider this is if can you trust your twenty one year old? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's where you got to start having conversations, do some family planning, and just great question. Yeah. Because yeah, some people don't want to give you know, their 21-year-old child money. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a very important thing to think about because sometimes that can go poorly. That's very true. That leads us, yeah, great, great question. That leads us to the second topic today, and that's eight tips for teaching kids about money. Yeah, which is kind of a good segue from that. Hey, if you have 10-year-old kids or you know, 8-year-old kids or 15-year-old kids, you know, how do we, how do we cultivate this uh, knowledge and awareness of finances that they don't turn 21 and have no idea how to do any of this called life, right? So this is a great article, How to Foster Financial Independence and Financial Literacy Among Young People. And so think back for yourself. Did, did you learn about money management at home? Did you learn about it at school? Did you learn about it through trial and error? When we talk to people about their own financial educations, we hear a lot about regret, specifically regret that they didn't learn the basics of financial planning earlier. I don't know about you, Ryan, but we, we've never had someone say, man, I just wish I would have learned this later in life. I just wish yeah. I would have been older and I just didn't waste my time with mm-hmm. all of this knowledge about how to handle money properly. We, we, it's always, man, I wish I had this when I was 20. And I wish I had this when I was 30 and now I'm 60 and I'm, you know, I'm getting the hang of it, but if I only had this 30 years ago or 40 years ago. So that's really what we're trying to talk about today, you know, with, with educating young people. Yeah. And even just like, why isn't this in the schools? You know, we need, we need kids from an early age, learn how to budget, learn how to do all these things. And uh, yeah, so that's just a good question to be asking of, you know, do, you know, why is this not more part of the school curriculum in general? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, unfortunately, many young people aren't getting an education in the fundamentals of financial independence, such as budgeting, investing, and savings. Um, According to the Council of Economic Education, in 2022, just 23 states require students to take a class in personal finance to graduate from high school. Just what I asked. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really up to each of us to ensure our kids are prepared to thrive as adults. Otherwise, it could take them years to figure it out. 
all while saving too little and spending too much, both which are huge barriers for financial security. Um, here are some, you know, we're going to talk about some tips, um, but that's just, yeah, going back to what I just said, 23 states, we have 50, and they need to be all doing this, right? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so here are some some tips for instilling healthy money habits at three cr- uh, crucial early stages of your child's life. Yeah, so when they're little, uh, this first one is to introduce the value of money. And allowance is a good first step, especially if you tie at least a part of it to chores that teach responsibility and a strong work ethic. Earning an allowance introduces kids to the value of money and making choices for themselves. In fact, kids often find that they make uh, different choices with their own money than they would with someone else's, which is true for adults as well, Absolutely. Right? If someone gives you $100 to go spend uh, versus just pulling it out of your bank account, you spend it differently. So you know, teaching them the value of money is, is a good step. Yeah, number two is emphasize saving. What a, what a concept, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, at some point, your kids are going to want things that exceed their allowance. Encouraging them to save for those items teaches them the concept of delayed gratification and trade-offs. Make a routine of setting aside a small portion, maybe 10% of every dollar they receive, including allowances and gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, delayed gratification is a huge life skill. And unfortunately, with you know the world of like credit cards and things like that, we, even adults struggle with that mm-hmm. greatly. Yeah, that's real. The third one is to introduce them to investing. Once your kids have saved money, I've uh, saved some money, you can consider opening up a custodial brokerage account for them or help them purchase, you know, some shares on, uh, you know, some type of account. Along with gaining a sense of ownership, your child can learn the importance of researching and managing their assets. Keep in mind there may be unique tax considerations for custodial accounts, so, you know, you know, making sure you understand this before you get into it is important. Um, but maybe you let them choose a few stocks to invest in um, that they're interested in, or maybe it's <laughs> you have the kind of more boring approach of mutual funds and ETFs that we believe in, and that's the, the conversation of how do we invest in you know the this economy that we go to Walmart and we shop and hey we can own a part of Walmart yeah um, so that that is a very unique you know starting investing early and we're happy to meet with our clients' kids and just walk through the beginning yeah. of investing that's something that's right. we encourage our clients please um, bring them in and so, yeah and sometimes it you know your kids uh, though we may say the same as you um, your kids may hear it differently if if yeah. you know professionals are saying that and, and encouraging them in that so yeah take us up on that absolutely. So now we're going to transition to when your kids are teenagers, which is, um, yeah, gets a little more tricky, right? <laughs> um, so fourth is, you know, encouraging a summer job. Mm. Uh, we can see that those who have jobs of their own are more likely to be savers over the long run. So make sure your child is saving a portion of every paycheck and maybe even require them to help out with other expenses as well. Mm. It's perfectly reasonable to expect kids to pay for their own gasoline or trips to the movies. So just kind of putting some skin in the game is the term you hear. It's always a good idea. Yeah, that's right. This next one, this fifth one, is to consider a Roth IRA. Um, so let's say you know you do have a job. It's a summer job. You make two thousand dollars. Consider opening up a Roth IRA. Um, you know this is a great way to start investing for retirement. Um, you know, this can also be a good way of teaching that though this is not fun to save for something that shouldn't be used for 40 plus years, it doesn't mean that it's not good. Yeah. And this is, a, you know, similar to exercise or healthy communication skills or taking care of your car or a number of other life lessons that, again, may not be fun now to change your oil. But if you don't change your oil, 
then you're not going to have a car in two years, right? I mean, it's yes. just like this, like, okay, this is not fun to save in a Roth necessarily, but casting the vision to say, hey, because something's not fun doesn't mean it's not good can be very beneficial for a young person uh, to hear that. So considering a Roth IRA is is a good one. I think that's a great example, the oil change and the yeah, <laughs> the working out. Yeah, yeah. I worked out this morning. At first, I didn't want to do it, but once I got into it, you know, I knew yeah, it was right. good that's for me. That's a long-term investment, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so finally, we're moving into when, uh, when they're young adults. So this is the next one is help them set a budget. So once your kids accept their first jobs after college, help them draw budgets based on their salaries and estimated expenses. Just kind of a reminder to the parents, like they've never done this before, right? This is the first time they're yeah, on their own, right? right. <laughs> um, when you've never lived on your own, it's easy to underestimate common expenses, expenses such as you know groceries and utilities. It's also a good idea to review their employer benefits with them to ensure they're taking full advantage of all the available options, especially any matching contributions to an employer-sponsored retirement account, uh, you know, like the 401k. Mm-hmm. Getting that started early is crucial. Um, it's important for them to understand the value of those matching contributions. And while you may think it's common sense for someone who has never done it this before, it can be very difficult to wade through these waters. A lot of the stuff that they give you is very confusing, especially if it's not your world. If you're not into finance, all the benefits, um, all the forms you fill out, it, it can be very daunting for someone who's just starting a job. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and budgets are, are also good um, just in general because it shows what we prioritize. Um, and I mean, just as a calendar can show what we truly value with our time, budgets can show what we truly value with our money. And so that is good also to, you know, to talk with your kids about, Hey, what do we value? What are we saving for? What are we investing for? And I always just setting it early is important because it's so hard to adjust backwards. And mm. I always tell clients that, right. It's kind of like, it's always hard to go to carpet when you're used to hardwood floors, mm. Once you're there, you're used to it. That's Same thing with one. your budget. Yeah. It's like once you're used to spending on certain things, it's hard to like stop doing that. You mm. can, but it's a lot more painful. Yeah, so, that's yeah. a good, no, that's a great example. All right, number seven is uh, to encourage them to stay invested. I hope your kids understand that time is their greatest ally when it comes to investing. The old saying, and Ryan, I know you say this a lot, time in the market is better than timing the market. Can't be said enough to kids and young adults. As for the investments themselves, you know, literally endless opportunities. When in doubt, choosing a product um, that allocates and invests their money uh, for them, you know, and making sure it's diversified. And, and we believe in mutual funds and ETFs. You can find an all world fund that is just one fund that has hundreds of different companies in it. You could, you know, sparse that out and do some international, some US. Um, that gets a little more complicated, but you know, making sure they stay invested and making sure they understand the basics of hey, what is a stock? You know, what what is what is a mutual fund? What does that mean to you know lose twenty percent, but actually not lose it unless you sell it? You know, so those concepts can be very valuable. But encouraging them to stay invested is is important. Yeah, and I would even just say like, you know, not being short term minded with like new products that come out and maybe something does well for five years or even ten years. You know, people kind of think that that's always the new normal. Looking at a long-term track record of just what investments have done well over long periods of time, things like that, right? Mm. We're, now, we're, the way we talk about crypto today than we did three years ago yeah, is completely different. Yeah. And so you have to help young people understand there are fundamentals, there are responsible things to do. And just because right when you start doing this, something's doing well, doesn't mean it's going to be something for the long term. Mm. And so looking at history, looking at data, 
um, and just making good decisions like we just talked about, being well diversified, looking at funds that are low cost and have a proven track record, mm. crucial, um, or you can make some big mistakes. The next is let them know, you know they're not alone. You want your kids to be fully independent adults, but you might need to step in and help them from veering off course from time to time. After all, making poor financial decisions can be you know, an expensive learning experience like I just talked about. Mm-hmm. And if they have a question you can't answer, introducing them to a trusted friend who can help or financial professionals is a way that you can hum, you know, humbly help your kids. Even if it's above, you know, above your head, you know, don't just mm. dismiss it, but try to find resources. You want them to get in the habit of asking for people if they need it and not just from you. You know, and I, that's one of the probably biggest lessons from this whole thing. You know, it's okay to ask for help. It's yeah. okay to seek advice. Um, you don't know, we don't know everything. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of humility also that just in general to say, I don't know, even Absolutely. for adults. <laughs> I mean, just for us to say, I don't know, I need help. I'm not all sufficient is, is good. And, and modeling that for your kids can be very beneficial for them. So yeah, that, that wraps up the article. I hope that was helpful. If you do have questions, please, again, just reach out and ask. We'd be happy to help. Absolutely. <laughs> We're more than happy to sit down with your kids and just kind of give them an intro to investing, budgeting. You know, we're, we're more than happy to do that. We love yeah, doing that. That's right. So that's, that's right. awesome. Or even like a, one other thing to think about with this is put your kids through a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class. Yeah. That, it barely costs, I mean, what, it's not very expensive. It's yeah. a do it maybe while they're in college or even high school. Um, they're, they're offered everywhere. So go online, look up Financial Peace University from Dave Ramsey. Let your kids sit through that and that'd and, be a great start. And I would encourage you, if you do that, I would encourage you you to be there as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, to sit in there with them and ask them questions so they're actually engaged through that would be good. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, so good, good thing we thought of that. So finally, we're going to end with the prescription of the week. So Matthew? Yeah, and so this prescription, it's, it is it is um, looking into the next year. So instead of trying to predict what the stock market will do in 2023, focus instead on making sure that you have the right allocation of your investments and honestly, that you even know what your goals are. We, we have a lot of people saying, hey, guys, what's going to happen next year? You know, this year has been terrible. You know, basically pull out a crystal ball and tell us what's going to happen next year. Yeah. Which, Ryan, I don't know if you have a crystal ball. I actually do. You do? Yeah. Do you really? No. Okay. <laughs> but that's the thing is like we, we don't know. And so what we can do is we can, we can be properly diversified with the risk that is good for your stage and we can know your goals and make sure they align and then you know pretty much like have confidence that it may not work out you know in the short term but over the long term it's a proven track record and i'll add to that you know focus on the things you can control great great point right we can't control what markets are going to do i was looking through financial advisor magazine yesterday i was looking at january's issue and the amount of things that they were wrong about this year they were trying to predict even oh. like inflation, they did not predict inflation being as high as it was now. Yeah, no you know? one knows. And it's just amazing that like you can't predict those things. So focus on the things like, hey, am I well diversified? You know, am I putting money in every month? Yeah, that's good. Um, am I following a budget? Am I spending you know mm. less than I make? You know, so all those things are the things you can control and will help you out later in life. Um, so that's a great way to plan. And and ultimately, just like one last thing is we just re- try to reduce stress. There's so yeah. many things that you can be anxious about in this world. Um, and, and our goal is that finances are not, are not one of them. So yeah. try to reduce stress, which is basically not trying to be in control of everything. Let your finances be a tool, not your purpose, you know, not what you're living for. Great. 
Yep. Simplify your life. Don't buy as much stuff. Things like that. Those are helpful. It's amazing how yeah. much stress we bring upon ourselves. Self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. Yep. Um, That's right. So yeah, great, great article. So hey, this has been this week's edition of MoneyMD. So you know, please tune in next week on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website, MoneyMD.net, and send us your questions or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. And hey, have a great Thanksgiving. Hope you all enjoy Thanksgiving with your families. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.